Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic, recapping Mad Men one workday cocktail at a time. I'm Christina. And I am Elias. <laughs> you sure about that? Yes. You. <laughs> I was just being emphatic about it. All right. Well, we are on season two, episode seven, The Gold Violin today. Yes. An episode about luxury and style versus substance, to say the least. Indeed. And so for this episode, we were inspired by both the title and the story it is named after, Gold Violin, and Don's purchase of a Cadillac. So we are drinking the Golden Cadillac. Yes. Also, we were inspired by buying liquors that are kind of expensive that we probably won't drink in any other context. So We are that, often inspired yes, by that, making these cocktails. That is a theme of this podcast, is us spending money on drinks yeah we are losing money on this entire operation that's how much we love mad men yeah we're losing money on this it's great yeah so this drink is a an after dinner like dessert drink kind of like the grasshopper i always think of it as like a trio the grasshopper the golden cadillac and the pink squirrel if like old-fashioned supper clubs like serve for after dinner and they're like those sweet creamy drinks right so yeah we had some couple hard hitters and now we're back to the uh the dessert drinks we're back in christina's realm the cream team's realm cream team i'm not gonna go by that name if you like our podcast hashtag cream team. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking don't oh my god so <laughs> this drink is equal parts galliano which is a what is it a liqueur a yeah liqueur. it's an italian liqueur which is kind of anise and some added spices like vanilla yeah so you it tastes off the bat like absinthe and then you get a really really smooth vanilla aftertaste from it so i actually liked it more by itself than in, in this cocktail. drink but that is my palate and as it, well it comes in this like tall skinny bottle yeah obelisk type a reverse obelisk type bottle almost it's really i mean it's so recognizable even if you've never heard of it you've seen this bottle at a liquor store yeah it's the only alcohol it's that like comes in this a foot bottle. and a half tall. yeah it's like an olive oil bottle yeah in a way yeah yeah so <laughs> cool <laughs> one part that galliano one part cream or you can use half and half if cream is um too heavy for you and one part creme de cacao, but you need like the white or the clear version. Uh, you can use the other version, but for the signature color of the drink, you need yeah. the clear white. Yeah, because it comes out as like an Easter yellow. Yeah, a pastel. Um, right, like you'd see the old pink Cadillac or old yellow Cadillac. For sure, they would be this exact color when you mix mm-hmm. the drink. So it has a cool origin story um, and one that's more definite than a lot of the other cocktails we've talked about. It was invented in 1952 in El Dorado, California at a bar restaurant called Poor Reds. It's fun because Cadillac has a car called the El Dorado. Oh. So this is a story. A woman and her new fiancé came into the restaurant. They were on their way to Lake Tahoe to celebrate their engagement. They asked the longtime bartender there to create a cocktail in honor of their celebrations. And, you know, he did a few mixes and finally settled on this drink, the Golden Cadillac. That's awesome. Like, isn't that the dream? Like, you get a drink commemorating your engagement or wedding or some celebration some together. Thing. I know Christina would lose her mind. Um, yeah, the couple, like, loved the drink. And he asked them what they wanted to call it. And they decided to name it after their new gold Cadillac parked out front. 
Sweet. And the drink is served. One of them is served for the lady in a coupe glass and for the guy in a sidecar. And these are like celebratory glasses. Yeah, we had trouble finding out exactly what a sidecar glass was. Um, I still think it's a lowball slash old-fashioned glass. But my research suggested it was a coupe or cocktail glass styled thing. We haven't hit the sidecar yet. We really missed that opportunity in the hobo code last season. But... Trust me, we will have another opportunity to drink a sidecar, and we will do the research on that and make sure that's correct. Yeah, and the the bar restaurant that made it in 1999, they were proclaimed by Galliano to be the largest consumer of that liquor in the world, responsible for 3% of the American market. Wow. Because, you know, you go there, you have to have the signature yeah. drink. If you invent a drink, I mean, that's your bread and butter. Yes. So that is the Golden Cadillac, mm. and... Well, let's get started. Things are really getting rolling this season, that's for sure. Cheers. All right, so Cadillacs. Don is shopping for one. Wow. I mean, right off the bat, it tells you what we're talking about this episode. It's called the Gold Violin, and Don's looking at Cadillacs. So Money, money, money. <laughs> money, money. So here we are. Yeah, I mean, we've got this real smooth salesman. He asks Don if he's afraid he'll fall in love and has all these kind of lines, you know, the cars do everything but make breakfast. And when he says that, <laughs> he asks Don what kind of car he drives now, and Don says a Dodge, and he's like, Those are wonderful if you want to get somewhere. This is for when you've already arrived. Boom, boom, boom. This is a Cadillac salesman. This isn't no ordinary car salesman. Right. We're going to meet one of those in the future, trust me. <laughs> but this guy is like... He's got his stick down. Yeah, and he's English, and he's refined, and he's selling, like, the... Not just the car, but, like, its status as a luxury symbol and, like, as a symbol of status. He's also instantly recognizable as a character actor. He's one of those guys. Adam Goldie. But he says to Don, he's like... Of course, someone like you, you don't need to see yourself in a Cadillac. You're walking about in one every day. How'd you like your car to look like that? Isn't it crazy in, like, a, such a repressed 1960s era how many dudes just say, Don, you're basically a human Cadillac. Those yeah, kind of jokes. Yeah. It happens over and over. Yeah. Called, got called John Kennedy by Jimmy Barrett earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but it must, they must, like, sense it that it's, like, it's a good He's thing like, to say to him. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, can you imagine just running across someone that looked like that in real life? I wouldn't talk to them. Well, It'd be too intimidating. Yeah, exactly. I'd go home. Like, I wouldn't. Fuck. I definitely wouldn't say, "Whoa, Cadillac you look City like a right there." Beautiful car, yeah. my man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he finds out that he's from Sterling Cooper that Roger sent him, and while he goes to like get the keys, presumably for a test drive, Don remembers another car buying. Right, and I'm time. just trying to think if like certain moments trigger Don's flashbacks. It seems like this is like a luxury moment that triggers this, like... His life you know. before. Right. And it goes back to when Don was a car dealer. Used car salesman. Used car salesman, excuse <laughs> me. But still, a car dealer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he's selling a car to a high school kid. <laughs> yeah, who's, you know, wearing a Letterman jacket, and his dad is monitoring the transaction. Right, and Don has his James Dean, uh, like, popped-up hair. Pompadour. Pompadour, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, like perfectly slicked back and big in the front. Yeah, yeah. so you can tell it's a flash. Your classic Johnny Bravo uh, <laughs> look. Yeah, yeah, Johnny Bravo. Hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but then a woman comes in. At first he thinks she's associated with the people she's he's selling the car to, but she says no. And he kind of steps aside to talk to her. And he's like, you know, what can I help you with? And she says, I'm not here to look for a car. Are you Don Draper? And he says, yes. He says, you're a hard man to find. You're not Don Draper. What a, what a scene to open with after how we ended last scene with the, like, earthquake moments, Don looking in the mirror. Oh, yeah. So obviously there's he's feeling the identity crisis right now, especially given his success. Because mm-hmm. he's been sent to get this Cadillac, and that's what triggers all this. And it's like, okay, now we see someone else other than Pete and his brother have figured this out. And mm-hmm. Cooper, ostensibly. Yeah. We don't really know if Cooper believed Pete. But yeah. now we're starting to meet someone else who, who immediately it's... knows he's not Don Drake. Yeah, and maybe it's Don kind of feeling like imposter syndrome. Like, you know, he's... Like, I didn't get, I didn't get to the point where I'm buying a Cadillac. Like, it's... It's from ill-boughten gains, and so yeah. he's reflecting on that. How every white man didn't feel imposter syndrome from failing up from nineteen from eighteen hundred to nineteen ninety nine in the U.S. I don't know, but <laughs> apparently it's Don Draper in nineteen sixty, and this is a he's unique feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, also he's committed fraud, but that's something else that we can deal with later, <laughs> I guess. Right. Um, so it flashes back to the car dealership. The salesman, you know, is offering to bring him for a test run, and he's like, you know, no. He says, I don't get that a lot. Don's like, I can drive drunk, but not after I have one of these flashbacks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And as as she is supposed to be doing, Jane is manning Don's desk at work, and she has, I guess, picked up pretty easily the management of when he is not there, what she should say, because Roger asks if he's there, and she says, no, but he will be. Yeah. She's, oh, all right. All right. She's already better than Lois, <laughs> which, uh, I mean, that's what Don wanted. So, yeah. yeah. She seems to actually be good at her job. Indeed. Yeah. She's a smart gal. And we'll find out more about the type of her smarts later. But she's wearing this, like, really cute knit kind of peachy pink sweater that's, like, a shorter sleeve. And it has, like, a white striped trim around it and a low, open, squared neck. Her hair pulled back, gold earrings. Yeah, I mean, she she looks great in every scene she's in. Yeah, she wears clothes very beautifully. Now, whether she's a great look every scene she's in, we'll get to. Yeah. Well, Roger, (laughs) Roger's happy with it now. Where'd you get that sweater? I want to make sure my daughter never buys it. She's right back quick with, I got it at Klein's. I'm sure she doesn't shop there. Because Klein's was like a discount chain store founded in 1906. And the flagship store was at Union Square East. So this is the original store. And it grew up to 19 stores before it just completely died. Shattered. But it was like a discount like department store. Right. And it's famous for its, it's got like a, one of those corner rules, square rules, you know, those rulers. That was its uh, Mm -hmm. trademark. And one of those signs as of 1916 was still up. 2016? As of 2016, excuse me, yes. <laughs> We're using ForgottenNY.com, which is one of the coolest websites out there as a Mad Men reference as well because it talks about all the stuff that like has like Since grown closed. and fallen yeah. in this city and how old this city is. But yeah, it's famous for a measuring square. That's what it's called, which is one of those right angle squares uh-huh. that appears. And then there's a clock above the word dressed. Hmm. Um, 
yeah, it's in cool this looking. photo. And there are photos. We'll post this site to the uh, to the show notes. Um, and that's the catchphrase was on the square. It was a play on the company's location and its profession of fair business practices. Um, so yeah, the two remnants of Klein remain in the doorway on Clinton Street in the Lower East Side, where a former branch was, and a giant illuminated sign in Newark, which has never been torn down. There's pictures of both of them, which is pretty awesome. Cool. And so, yeah, basically she's shopping at a discount store. Yeah. And yeah. She's a gal starting out, you know. They don't, they don't pay their secretaries a lot yeah, at all. Yeah, so. and let's just say she's talking to someone on the building. So yeah. she knows so, what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so Don arrives then. Jane tells him that Mrs. Barrett called for him again. Uh-oh. But he apparently has not been calling back. Now if she was calling, you know tied up in a hotel or whatever hoping he'd come back and untie her remains to be seen <laughs> that is a problem that has happened to him that will happen to him again in this show oh god leaving people tied up in hotel rooms literally or we'll get locked there. in hotel rooms we'll get there there's plenty of time to delve into don's sexual kinks sex yes. around the city but roger kind of that's a don't pot almost <laughs> yeah Two E's. Can you put two E's on the tag on the pod? Two explicit. Oh, yeah, right. Double double <laughs> up. Yeah. Roger kind of teases about Jane because, you know, she's still kind of... She's trying to impress impress Don, and um, he says that... I bet she suffers in silence out there hoping you'll notice her. I don't think she cries at night from lack of attention. Don knows his... His peers will say. Yes. And she's definitely on that level. As you've seen, she's shut down everyone pretty well, th- pretty cleanly. But I think it is true yeah. that she wishes for a little more attention from Dawn after that first moment we did where he talk, didn't yeah, even we fucking did, look at her. We did talk yeah. about that. But, so. <laughs> but then Roger says, Wait till she finds out about your Cadillac. She'll be waiting naked right in front of this window. And then Don grins and he's like, well, now you're thinking about her. <laughs> so they talk about the Cadillac and how Roger, we you know, find out kind of Roger had urged him to go and, and look at a car and that it's like time, time to take a step up in the world. You need to spend your money. Yeah, okay? we're paying you all this more. Yeah. What good's it doing just sitting there? Nothing. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help our image. You got to spend it. Yeah. You got to look cool. And you know how cool it feels to write out a check for... You know, what would be $55,000 today for a car and not even worry about it? Pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. It's like in the social network. They're like, a million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. Yeah, baby. Money is cool. Yeah. (laughs) Christina, just just smiling at me so much right now to (laughs) quote the social network. Which, I should tell you before this, she snapped at me. Because I looked onto her computer while she was typing up her notes, and she said, "Don't you fucking cheat." Yeah, well, you you're the one that likes to do the categories to be a secret. Yeah, and then you're the gonna categories. have to feign surprise later. That's what yeah. I was working on the well, categories. I didn't know that. And I'm like, really oh, sn- I didn't know you picked this for your best outfit when you did. You really snapped it. I can never, never, ever anticipate what the best outfit choice will be. That's not my. Well, not my cup of tea. Just as an example. Not my cuppa. So if Elias sounds like he's lying later when he says he's surprised about my choices, you'll know why. Unbelievable. Just bringing <laughs> like, the opportunity for criticism of me onto the pod. Cool. You were the one that brought the initial accusation onto the pod. I just had to say how aggressive you got. <sighs> Back to the pod. 
mongoose protecting her young. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> her madmen categories is her young right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> then Duck comes in. They're talking about that they're going to be pitching to Martinson's Coffee. And. Yes, if you recall the Schmitties that yeah, came in. They're going to put them Smith on and it. Smith. And they 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 approach John's office and they're hitting on Jane. Right, we open the door to both of them leaning like into her on her desk, yeah. And Don is like, "Leave her alone, just like you pest. Everyone needs to stop bothering my secretary because she needs to work too." Right. If only Don, like a couple episodes ago on Memorial Day, hadn't yelled out his speech and instead had yelled out, "Nobody talk to my secretary unless it's about business." Yeah. And I think Everyone things would go would a lot listened. smoother, yeah. Yeah, because people listen to what Don says and are afraid of him. Yes. Yeah, then the Smiths, since they're going to be, they're kind of the lure for Martinsons because the, the whole thing is that they want to get younger people drinking coffee more. And so, of course, they've got these quote-unquote kids that are going to be working on this pitch. And one of the Smiths has a letter from a friend that's still in college, man. And dig it, man. He wrote this 60-page rant. Right. And that rant is very famous, actually. Thanks to uh, our best reference, Madman Carousel, we dived into some historical references in the book. That is from the Port Huron Statement, which is a famous uh, political manifesto um, from the movement, Students for a Democratic Society, uh, and it was finished on June 15th, 1962 at a United Auto Workers retreat outside of Port Huron, Michigan, which is now part of a state park. And basically what he reads is the whole deal. This is like the like opening statement for all the student movements that were going to happen throughout the next decade. Like let love reign instead of power. Well, more and... for the political stuff, civil rights stuff, going into, you know, Vietnam protest stuff. I don't know how political the hippie stuff was. Yeah. So I don't think that's really connected. This is much more political and much more connected to the government's handling of the Cold War, mm -hmm. which we've seen Korea, Vietnam's ramping up right now, or at least about to. We're right in the midst of Bay of Pigs, as the last episode told us, mm -hmm. and like the nuclear war arms race and the space race. So it's a lot of stuff that like is going wrong post-war. Everyone's... Like booming economically, now it's time to like address Check. social issues. Yeah. And who better to do that than college students going to school with no student debts? Yeah. Let's it must not, be nice to not be burdened by capitalism in the same way that some of us are now. Let's not harbor on student debts that much. <laughs> Because we could. Or we're going to, um, this podcast is going to go down but, uh, the tubes. Honestly, uh, it's not helping our student debts, but that's okay. No, we just we told you to we're losing it. money doing okay. this. I have to express that. But we love it. Okay. We, we don't it. need money yeah, to do it. We, we do it for it. fun. We, we do it because we love the show. Um, <laughs> anyway, the Port Huron statement's fascinating. It's a great page. But of course, Don catches on immediately. He's like, huh. How's your friend feel about what you do for a living? Yeah. And Smith's like, well, it came with a really gnarly note. So, right. I mean, everyone's taking this. I mean, these guys take all of this with a grain of salt. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They know how despised they are in the world already in 1960. Yeah, and they're kind of towing this weird line of, yeah, having these shared, like, ideals with people their age, but also being like, we're going to make a lot of money. Well, listen to, I mean, listen to this. This is basically what Smitty says to him. He's like, look at this. Listen to this. This is young people. This is like their radical movement for the future. We can 
use this and manipulate this and make millions of dollars off this. Don's like, yeah. All right. All right. Let's see see what you got. I see you. Let's see what you got. So he sends them off to make the pitch. Yep. Basically gives the pitch to them as far as we know. So on the other side of the office, they're doing like some, they're talking about some Pampers pitch because they're like introducing disposable diapers, which is wild to think about. Can you imagine the alternative before? Right, but it's crazy now because now there is kind of like that, like back to that. If it's not a resurgence, it's a backlash against plastic diapers because of how wasteful they are. Um, but back then they were revolutionary. Like, counterpoint: the other one is gross. <laughs> right, I think that's <laughs> no, still a yeah, valid no. <laughs> counterpoint. But back then it was just like rags. Basically, right? Wrap your baby in rags and well, an like actual clothespin. Clothes, so it's like a, cloth diapers. Yeah. yeah. So there's a baby safety issue that's resolved here. There's a, like, you don't have to deal with, like, Cleaning. scraping and boiling. They mentioned yeah. boiling in the scene. and But at the same time, and I think this is still true, they're expensive. Yeah. Ten cents a piece back then, that's no joke. And right now, I, I know that they're really expensive. Oh, yeah, definitely. During all the holiday seasons, they're one of the most requested, like, donation items. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. Even during like baby showers of and course. stuff, everyone's like, please give us give a lot of diapers. disposable diapers yeah. because they are very expensive. At the hospital I was born at, they still had a, a like a thing where they'd give mothers going home like a supply of cloth diapers. So they used those for me. Oh, wow. And I was born in 1990. So, But they... you were born in a log cabin in the Canadian woods. No. So, <laughs> so you were born in a bucket I in the Canadian in hospital. woods. In a hospital. In the forest. She's a forest baby. She's a woods girl. Yeah, I know you've said that before, but I was born in a real hospital. <laughs> so I have but not they were sur- free, so my mom was like, sure. It's cute. We'll, it's a we'll little, I mean, it's like, first of all, I mean, if you're giving it for free, yeah, sure, wrap them in, wrap them in whatever you want. <laughs> Seriously, wrap them in cigar leaves. I don't give a crap. Just if it's free, just do it. We'll yeah. take them home. Yeah. And that'd be funny. You get your baby home, and it's like a wrapped cigar. Like they're nice and like swaddled in like cigar leaves. <laughs> Especially if they had a few red hairs on the end of their head. And it's like oh, a little lit up cigar. That would be funny. Yeah. <laughs> Weird image. But funny. Um. Okay. But so then they're cleaning up at the pitch and Jane comes in with, you know, some notes from Dawn. And a box to clean up. Yeah. Yeah. So she hel- she's helping them. Peggy leaves. And so it's her left with Sal, Kinsey, and Ken. And then Harry Crane comes in wanting to know, it's five o'clock. Are we going out to drink? But the reason that Harry came over really is because he wanted to brag that... Cooper invited him for a private one-on-one meeting in his office, which he's not, has never happened for him before. Right. Married Crane comes in. And Married he, Crane, yeah. And he's, yeah, he's bragging about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, immediately he's cut down. Yeah, and easy to get in his head. they have other gossip about this. Kinsey's like, well, they're going to make you talk about the painting that Cooper just got. Ooh. And he's like, what painting? And they're like, no one knows, only like one of the lower rung guys has seen it, but he spent $10,000, a.k.a. $85,000 yeah. on it. And we've heard the name Dale before, but we've never met Dale. I feel like he's that rando. We we used to talk about the rando that was in meetings a couple times. Right. I think we've seen the Dale Yeah, character. we've definitely heard the name Dale yeah. before, and but. there's just a lot of disdain going around the office. But irrelevant. Right. Kinsey says it's an abstract expressionist painting. But 
Harry doesn't really know his art. He's like, that doesn't help me at all. Like, I don't know what this is. And Hurricane Jane. Right. Let's, I, so I've been thinking yeah. about it, and I mm-hmm. think that we have prematurely named her Hurricane Jane. I think that she is Tropical Storm Jane for this episode. She's building. There's, there's <laughs> gale force winds, and we can all sense it coming, the disruption. But I do not think she's become a full-fledged all Hurricane right. Jane yet. All so right. Tropical Storm Jane It doesn't rain quite as well. But it will pay off <laughs> in a couple weeks. Okay, make a note so we don't forget that. Tropical Storm Jane right now comes in and says... Why don't you just go look at it? <laughs> Even Marion Crane, who is, to his credit, just not, like, as charmed by her as the other guys. And nor is Kinsey quite as much either. He's like, I'm sorry, what is it, Jane? <laughs> who are you? Well, and that could just be another Crane move. We don't really know. <laughs> because everyone else in the office is infatuated with yeah. the storm that's brewing. But, yeah, they're just shocked, They're I like, think. no. And even Ken, who is obsessed with Jane and tries to impress her at every turn is like, no, we can't just go into Cooper's office. Well, coming from a secretary, this is absolutely insane. Yeah. And it shows Let's that go she in. doesn't, yeah. she doesn't know all the dynamics, but unfortunately she is aware of the power that she holds in a different way. Well, I, I don't know that she doesn't know the dynamics. I don't, I just think she's never had to care about the dynamics in the past. In and past or life. she's just trying to show how like game she is. You yeah. Know? But it's weird because she's been like just, indifferent to everyone's advances to the whole thing and she has nothing to prove to any of these people she's like well why don't we just go up there like Mm -hmm. she just doesn't have to care about this stuff like she does not have repercussions yeah she's She's never had repercussions She's like the the character john ham plays in 30 rock where he lives in the bubble and it's like you're so hot that you don't have to like deal with the inconveniences of life exactly yeah exactly she's like well you know, even though all the guys are like, no, we can't do that. She's like, well, I'm going to go. And then they all Well, like, if, trail if we along. can blame it on her, then let's do it. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Great. Yeah, throw her under the bus. Cue the Mission Impossible theme. I don't know if that's the Mission Impossible theme. There you go. There you go. We're really getting into singing songs with our yeah, like mouths like beatboxers. Guys, we'll try to cut back. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the heist not really a heist actually but i like i like a heist concept i like yeah if you can you're gonna in, label something i'm gonna heists. call something a heist if i can yeah. but you know so they go in they take off their shoes because that's what you do in cooper's office and i think they're afraid they'll like track you know footprints in otherwise literally they cannot leave footprints yeah they cannot <laughs> risk that exactly um, but, and you get a glimpse of some japanese art which we've already established cooper has style. that aesthetic in his office yeah Kinsey pieces out. He's like, call me from jail. He's like, this is not a good idea, guys. Yeah. Yeah. When Kinsey, who often missteps, thinks your idea is bad, you might give it some more thought, but they don't. So it's Sal, Ken, Harry, and Jane all go in. They look at it, and Sal's like, oh, it's a Rothko. Why didn't he just say that? Right. Mark Rothko. We all know the name, and we all know these paintings. I mean, this is a guy that's like synonymous with weird u.s art and like one of the most respected abstract artists of the 20th century Mm -hmm. um he was a latvian immigrant latvian jewish descent from lived from 1903 to 1970 and he had a couple phases he didn't always paint the things that we're no we know he's famous for but what's important here is that he did do these weird 
like extreme like color mixing things and then he'd paint these just bars of like color bars and squares and right he has like, a few errors great wikipedia page about this we're not like art like at least like i would love to be like really knowledgeable about art like but... just get it yeah um so we're looking into this fun fact he was writing a book never completed about similarities in the art of children and the work of modern painters which <laughs> may have actually inspired this era of his work according to him the work of modernists was influenced by primitive art could, could be compared to that of children in that quote child art transforms itself into primitism primitivism which is the only the child producing a mimicry of himself hmm. you have to um, love an abstract artist that is self-aware about the criticism of abstract art which is right. that my kid could do that right and it's always that theme of like once you get to that point that you're a respected artist, are you just trying to fuck with the critics that don't understand? Are you in they on don't. The game? They don't necessarily understand the art, but they understand the person, and they understand that that's like something you can build. I yeah. don't know. That's a game that we can't get into. Like we don't know how that works. So please don't the come. At, please is... don't come at us, art scene. Please actually tell us how that's really like. Um, <laughs> anyway. We'll go back to Mad Men Carousel because the painting hanging up there is called Four Reds. It was painted in 1957. And according to Mad Men Carousel, that painting isn't, of course, is not the real Rothko painting. Mad Men got permission from the Rothko estate to recreate the original for the episode. Oh, cool. On the condition that it be destroyed afterward. Rothko was already an established painted painter by 1962, and he adopted the style here in the 1940s. This being the case, his art probably shouldn't have seemed that far out to anyone at Sterling Cooper that knew a little bit about art. Which is only Sal. So, obviously, the art department knew. Like, yeah. he knew immediately. Yeah. He's like, he looked at it. He's and, like, oh, it's just yeah. a Rothko. Yeah, he's like, It's oh. expensive, but, like, not right. crazy. I mean, how else does that get around? Like, obviously, these guys are businessmen, and they're, especially the people up there. Yeah. They're accounts people. They're not going out to art museums and staring at shit for three hours. Right, yeah. But it's also such a weird, like, contrast with the rest of the Cooper's aesthetic. And everyone wants to go up and see and, like, at least, you know, if they get the call up to Cooper's office. They want to be like, prepared. They want to know yeah, what they're looking they're at the looking test. You know, That's the, all it the is. The test key before the test. Right. Um, and it turns out it's not only Sal that knows something about art because, I mean, Cosgrove just, yeah, just kind of gets. feelings. You yeah, can tell yeah. he smoked he smoked some weed in college. Like, he's that type where he's like, right. yeah, like, maybe you're not supposed to understand it. And you just, like feel and like it feels like deep right and and i mean he i mean he got a story published so he knows something about like art construction yeah. in a different context but that's exactly i think the only way you can really describe rothko's art right yeah like and i'm something. not sure that i could derive a lot of meaning to it but it's still like really fun to look at for being six squares and bars yeah I, or as jane says oh it's smudgy squares yeah interesting yeah <laughs> that's all right got it he's but a great Sa line and sal's like takes note yeah sal's impressed by by ken's assessment of the art he's deeper than he expected i think right he's like huh yeah and then sal's like did someone tell you that like is that and, a line and then yeah cosgrove's like who could tell me that yeah. It's nonsense. Immediately after that, yeah. he just throws it away, which is another theme of this is like people just 
throwing shit away that actually might be of some value. And mm-hmm. we'll get back to that. We've already talked about the diapers. <laughs> uh, disposable, uh, dispose. Right. It's yeah, a, it's, disposing of stuff, it's, wealth. It's the era of luxury. Consumerism. Like, it really is the boom of the luxury. Like you have money, you spend it on things that you don't necessarily intend to keep for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you don't care because that's like the image of luxury. It's like having it, yeah. So then they are heading back um, or heading out on the elevator Jane is like, oh, you know, we could have stolen it. There's your heist. <laughs> yeah. And Sal is like, who are you? Like, right. what are you? You're going you're a little trouble. ham here. <laughs> but Cosgrove remarks that the day we looked at the painting could be a cool short story. And he's trying to brag to Jane that he's a writer. But Sal uses this to bring up his other story and is like, oh, yeah, like that tree story, Maple what is it, tapping a maple in a cold Vermont Vermont winter day or something. (laughs) Um, That mystery story. He remembers that and he's like, oh yeah, like that was great. I thought this was like half wingman work from Sal. I think it, I think maybe he played it that way to be both things. Yeah, because there is, you do, they do like show Jane's face and that she's kind of like listening. like Right. But And I also expect that after what Cosgrove set up there, he's like, huh, this guy, that's right. This guy actually has some He's got some artistic sense. Yes. Yeah. But Ken Ken tries to buy Jane dinner and she just runs away. No. Yeah. She's got better stuff to do. Just crushes (laughs) him. The next day, Cosgrove is kind of like telling Kinsey about how crazy Jane is and... Yeah. Wow, yeah. she's nuts. Cosgrove's <laughs> really feeling Jane. Yeah. In case you didn't get it. Yep, and her rebellious streak is attractive to him, it seems. But Kinsey doesn't care. He wants to know about the painting. <laughs> Even though he was afraid to go in, he's like, well, you're going to all tell me about it. Well, he doesn't care. He's seen Jane. He wants to see the painting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Joan is walking up as they're having this conversation. And yeah, they're sh- having it at the coffee cart like a bunch of dummies. Right. And she's like... What about Mr. Cooper's painting? Right. She's already sussed this out. She already knows. She, uh, the little birds. She is the little little finger Varys in Game of Thrones in Mad Men. Like, she's got little spies everywhere, mm-hmm. like, giving her secrets. And, like, yeah, she already knows. Now but, she's just busting their balls. But what she heard is not exactly, like, the right, like, combination of people. She heard that he, that is Kinsey... Cosgrove and Jane were in the office right. looking at the painting. Didn't mention Sal, didn't mention Crane, and she's incorrect that Kinsey was there. He well, wasn't. Kinsey did step into the office yeah. and then bailed. Yeah, that's true. So he was but technically in the office, which us lawyers love technically. Technically. So that leaves two people that could have told the story, right? Did she say Crane was there too? She didn't say Crane, she didn't say Sal. Yeah. But although they could have shared it and not included themselves. Absolutely. So or that's Jane could have been bragging, Ken could have been bragging. We know it's not Jane, because we'll know in a second why it's not Jane. Yeah. But that's an interesting question. Who's selling out who here? Right. Who is someone Jane? tattled? Who's Jones private? little source and or it has someone also be. might have told someone else who then told jane or to, who then told joan like it's not necessarily someone they probably didn't directly tell joan because they knew the shit storm that would come down but who seems to be the most savvy person in the office i'd say look back to how sal told crane how to handle the paycheck situation mm-hmm. paycheck gate of four episodes ago i think sal's pretty good at covering his ass especially given the rest of his 
background. Mm-hmm. I think Cosgrove good at covering his base. Got excited and told someone, or he tried to talk to Jane about it again. It's possible. It's fascinating though. Jane, no, Joan knows, and that's why Joan's the office manager. Yep. You know, she knows She's what's on top going of everything. on. Yeah, and yeah, Kinsey protests that like nothing happened. He didn't have anything to do with it, but she knows what she knows. Right, and Kinsey, of course, is like backed into a corner and just can't can't get himself out yeah. there's no way kinsey can do it yeah he doesn't sound convincing even though he like, didn't go in talk about J- jane daring you to go up to the office here's joan catching you in trouble yeah the, those it's are just two like lose lose between situations. a rock and a hard yes. place <laughs> you're not gonna come out of there dudes Unscathed. you're not gonna come out of there okay yeah sal and ken kind of reconnect and talk about what an adventure it was to go sneak into cooper's office and Ken says to Sal, I was thinking about what you said about my story. You're not like everyone else here. And right. Sal kind of has, I feel like a moment of like a little bit of panic. He's like, well, I don't think that's true because, you know, we know the viewer that Sal is trying to blend in with everyone else there. Yeah, we know Sal's closeted mm-hmm. at this point, And uh, it's a real like paranoia, which understandably so. Yeah. But uh yeah, so he's worried, but but that's not what Ken means. Ken picks up on a lot of stuff, but not that. No kind one picks of stuff. up on that. No one picks up on well, yeah, no one picks up on that. And yeah, at the same time that he was trying to mac on Jane, he's like, "Hey, you read my, you liked my story. Yeah. How about you read my new manuscript? I've got another my one. My manuscript." <laughs> And he says, but don't tell me if you hate it because I'm kind of fragile. Oh, Oh, Ken. Ken. You always know a way to, uh, like, butter us up after just being a complete dickhead for the last few episodes. Yeah. And Sal invites him over for dinner on Sunday night with him and his wife. Kitty, who we met briefly in the first episode of the season. And we were like, oh, Sal's wife. He's married now. Yeah. Yeah, Long long distance in two years. And uh, Ken seems reticent. He's like, hmm, this seems, I don't know. I don't know yeah. why he's reticent. Maybe he's just like, doesn't I mean, want to impose. Like, they're not like buddies outside of work really yet. Right. At that point, so. And he's like, you sure that's okay? And Sal has a great line. Do you want me to give this back? <laughs> yeah, so it's like an ultimatum. <laughs> right. A good Italian ultimatum. Yes. <laughs> I should say a good Mediterranean ultimatum, because I have the same Greek ultimatums Me- come my way. Mediterranean Mediterranean Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. So then they're doing the Martinson pitch. Here we are. And Don is talking about the issue that they're having that young people do not drink coffee. Right. What a world it was then. <laughs> now, like, eight-year-olds drink coffee. <laughs> but to be fair, I did not drink coffee until I met my beautiful wife. And... <laughs> <laughs> and she converted me to coffee and now, during law school. And now I drink probably more coffee than she does, to be <laughs> honest. Yeah, I started in college. And, I mean, I would drink, like, mochas and stuff like that in high school, but I didn't start drinking coffee coffee. Yeah, I was a tea drinker mm-hmm. throughout all of college and post-college until we went to law school. And then for a good a period of law school, too, I drank it. I just didn't like the taste of coffee and I just didn't feel good with the caffeine but then there just came a point where the hangover and the stress of law school met and the coffee did the job I pulled you into my web yeah right my <laughs> spider wife <laughs> pulled me in step into my web what is that is that 
a bug's life where it's that spider woman. She's the woman, and she's just mm-hmm. that spider mm-hmm. in the, like, yeah. always spinning webs. And, but Don says, you know, and there's been these attempts to get young people to drink coffee by using, he says, puppets and such. Puppets uh. and so forth. And according to the Mad Men wiki, this is likely a reference to Jim Henson, the Muppets creator, because in the late 50s, early 60s, he created some commercials for a coffee company using two of the early Muppets to try to sell the products. The Jim Henson Wikipedia is, you. I mean, the like span across culture this man has had, <laughs> he has to be one of the most influential, influential Americans of the 20th century. Yeah. They are everywhere. Like... He was doing coffee ads back then and then turning it into Sesame Street and all that stuff. Like, oh, man, crazy. Yeah. So. But we're, we're steering away from puppets. Yeah. Right? It's 1962. Time to get serious. So he turns it over to the kiddos and they first make a reference to the brand's namesake, Joe Martinson. And they're like, yeah, isn't that where a cup of Joe came from? Old cup of Joe. Which apparently it's one of like four like main theories so one is that it was named after joe martinson and um you know he made this coffee he started this coffee company in 1898 so you know he was a a long time business owner at that point and yeah they called it a cup of joe joe's coffee the other theories include that in 1914 they banned alcohol from u.s navy ships and then the strongest you know thing that they could get was coffee a cup of joe and it was named after the secretary of the navy (laughs) joe daniels who had banned the alcohol right a classic like overcorrection from alcohol to stimulants yeah right (laughs) could it be any more different (laughs) some linguists argue that it might be a shortened version of jamoke jamoke which is a combination of mocha and java and they shortened it to Joe. And finally, the other thought is that it might refer to, like, the average man. You know, huh. you call my average Joe, a cup of Joe, and yeah. trying it, it being, you know, something that everyone drinks. Huh. So Interesting theories. Yeah. But but obviously, the right attempt the one, here, yeah. Yeah, that Martinson's relates to the coffee. company. That's funny that that's, like, a legit theory. Because Martinson's coffee... I don't think it's around anymore. I think it got bought up by Folger Maxwell House. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't really find much, so. Anyway. Other than the history. Interesting theories, but good start. You flatter the employee. But you can see in Don's eyes, he's like, bear with me here, basically. But then they're like, but it's a new time, and we don't want to think about old Joe anymore. It's the Pepsi generation, but it's not (laughs) quite yet. It's still the Coca-Cola generation. Yeah. But they want to find stuff on their own. They want to feel. They want to be moved. All you need to tell us is that it's good coffee and we'll choose it for ourselves. So let's manipulate them via song. So they play this, like, Calypso-style song that they created. Yeah. Obviously, like, hell of it. Yeah, like... Martin Sun. Like a Harry Belafonte-style, like, jam. Mm-hmm. And, uh... I know that even through, like, when I was a kid, there were still some coffee companies doing something... Yeah. yeah, like using this like easygoing style, like make you feel just relaxed and you right. know, like you're having a good time. Right, and it doesn't look like Martinson's too impressed after they hear the song. Yeah, he is reticent. It's like it's a jingle. 
But they're like, no, it's better than that. It's bigger than that. This it's is, a yeah. feeling. This is a legit song. Yeah. Like, this isn't a jingle. This is a full song. We can sell this as singles. <laughs> yeah, singles. It's not and a jingle. It's, it's a, a single. single. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, yeah, the, the rep, like, asks Peggy what she thinks because she's the other young person in the room. And she's like, it stays with you. Peggy, just doing her job. It's important to realize this episode that's all about, like, manipulation plus, like, luxury and, like, waste. And two of our main characters, Peggy and Pete, barely appear in this episode, which is hmm. interesting when they're the ones really growing up in these times. We're focusing on the... The younger the, and the older. The arc that really is already there and the younger generation's... Like not adapting to it, like yeah. Peggy's just saying exactly what she needs to say here. Right? Yeah, she's but been think, told. Yeah, you know, she knows what she's doing just to say what she's saying. Like, but she's like, yeah, she's looked at as, oh, you're another young person. Like, yeah, you know, are these two like weird dudes yeah. on the right track or what? But it's weird we don't get her actual feelings on this pitch at all. She's not involved in the pre meetings. Yeah, the pre She's just there to like play the stereo, I guess. And she leaves before the adventure to the to Cooper's room. Wisely. So we don't get her opinion on that either yeah and whether after last episode where she's like i need to be included whether she would actually go up there just to be included we don't get that yeah arc. i don't i don't so, feel like she wouldn't i feel like she think it's like a betrayal of like the trust dawn has given her yeah well it'd be it would have been interesting to see peggy in that situation being torn between i need to be clearly like in the room with these people mm-hmm. because they keep excluding me from the room and also like I know the line that needs to be drawn, yeah. and I should not go into Burke Cooper's office. And she's Burr more Cooper's of a rule follower at this point than mm-hmm. a lot of other people are. Right. And so it's interesting the characters they chose to develop these themes on. And I think what it comes down to is these are people that are, like, have grown up rich. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, we know Jane's a college girl from when she first started. Mm-hmm. So she's an East Coast college girl. Yeah, so she... We know the other three are all, like... Like Ivy League type guys mm-hmm. decide. That, Crane went to Madison. Oh, that's right. Crane went to Wisconsin, which is still no joke of a school. A public Ivy, they used to call it. Yeah, Wisconsin, which that's takes something special for this forest girl to say something nice about. I said Madison. they called it that. They like people, <laughs> not me. Nobody from the Minnesota woods. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, it's just interesting to see like who they chose to emphasize in yeah, this episode yeah. in the ways they do it because I mean, they've already the best character for it right so in between those worlds right and that's why they started the episode with don again having like a little existential flashback because the fact that he's built his whole successful career on being a completely different person yeah so then crane has his meeting with cooper but it seems that cooper actually wants to just talk about tv ad sales revenues just numbers <laughs> yeah but Crane has just been primed now because of, you know, their whole discussion about the painting and their little heist. He's been primed to just want to talk about yeah. it to Cooper. The hype's been built up. Yeah. So it's like Crane is kind of trying to, like, talk to Cooper about it, but Cooper is just kind of, like, brushing him off. It's very modern. Mark Rothko. I've read about him. And? What do you think about it? Nobody has ever asked me that. Probably because it's none of their business. 
I love this part about Cooper. Cooper looks like this kind old man, and he really is when he's talking to Don and Roger. <laughs> but otherwise, he likes to do these little, like, I'm going to pretend to care about you questions. Yeah. Followed by... I don't give a shit about you answers. Right. <laughs> and I, I just love it. He yeah. did the same thing to Pete when Pete came up to the office. With, yeah, his story about with Don. With his story yeah. about Don. And, like, I, I mean, honestly, usually we see Pete, uh, we see Cooper from Don's perspective. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, I'm, I'm grooming back. you to be the best, I Don. am your menti- mentor. Yeah. And, but then we get these moments with the younger execs. Like yeah, and we got this terrified of him, especially Crane in the TV business. Where I mean, last episode, Duck asked what he was even doing at the meeting, or two episodes ago, what he was even yeah. doing at the like, meeting. People don't understand what his role is, really. Right, and we're not sure Cooper does either. Yeah, and that's why basically Cooper says, "Stick to what you know." Yeah, let's not talk about aesthetics. It's really just a savage, crushing blow to Crane trying to like build a rapport with Cooper. Mm-hmm. And Cooper's like, wait a minute. You're just a TV accountant. That's all I see you as. Numbers. You're a yeah. numbers guy. But then he, you know, he does decide to expand a little bit about buying the painting. And he says that people buy things to realize their aspirations. It's the foundation of our business. And then he kind of leans in a little and confidentially says to Crane. But between you and me and the lamppost, that thing should double value by next christmas (laughs) right back to our themes okay so everyone was so worried about cooper's aesthetic like because we already know yeah he has this aesthetic like it does he hate it and we learned that he doesn't give a shit about the aesthetic he bought this because he knows rothko and he knows this painting will be worth more he's at that level where he can buy art as a way to resell and make a ton of money and he's exactly right i mean as we told the story about this painting before like the family wouldn't even let them keep a recreation of it for the show. Is it, it owned to be by burned. a private family now? I couldn't find any information. Like, even searching that name of the painting, so, I couldn't find probably, any information yeah. about the actual painting. So it's owned very privately, I would yeah. say. Or museum-wise, but I didn't see any of that. It would probably be Googled on a museum it. website if it was... It seems like part of a series that he did a lot of red work, mm-hmm. like red painting work, and... Yeah, I really couldn't find that much information on it. So that must mean it's buried deep in the bowels of some diamond as big as the Ritz-type mansion somewhere. Yeah, but then they go back to business, and Crane smiles a little bit because I think he's like, oh, okay, like, Cooper gave me a little bit of insight here. I understand this. I understand that we're here to make money. Yeah. And that's what you're still here for. You're not here to be an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Then back at home, Betty is, like, getting Sally, like, Sorted out after they've gone to the pool and she gets a phone call and the caller asks, is this the bell of the Hudson River Valley? And she's like, who is this? And it's Jimmy Barrett calling. Yes, this comedian. Again. Yeah, a real comedian. And though she's like, oh, are you calling for Don? She also like ushers Sally out of the room. Yeah, how much time do you think he spent on this little spiel he gives right here? Oh, I think he wrote it like, yeah, like a good bit just mm-hmm. for Betty. Because we know that he was enchanted by her when they met at the apology dinner. <laughs> right, because he's a celebrity. Mm-hmm. And of course, Everyone's he's enchanted by, by her because she's Betty. Yeah. And he invites her 
and Don to a party celebrating his TV show. Yeah, at the Stork Club. Yeah, the, at the Stork Club, which was a nightclub in Manhattan from 1929 to 1965, one of the most prestigious in the world, where wealthy, elite, celebrities all mixed at the VIP room. Um, there's, like, all kinds of crazy story history. Like, there was early mob and bootlegger connections. There was this special room, like the cub room, which was more private within the club where celebrities could play cards. And there was a head waiter that everyone called St. Peter who de- decided who got access to it and who didn't. Sweet. That's um, an awesome nickname. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, yeah, like the Kennedys would go. Of course the Kennedys. Head bootleggers in the U.S. would go. Yeah. <laughs> the news of Grace Kelly's engagement to the Prince of Monaco broke while they were visiting there. The owner of the Hope Diamond used to like wear it out to the club, like a piece of costume jewelry. One night she lost it under a table and like some other celebrity found it. Ernest Hemingway cashed his $100,000 check for the film rights of For Whom the Bell Tolls at the Stork Club in order to pay his tab. And like, yeah, this club was like kind of founded on this whole thing of like treating celebrities like, you know, they were like at their own kind of private private spot like they had tabs they would give them gifts they like knew everyone they wouldn't allow unescorted women in after 6 p.m in order so that the men that were bringing mistresses there wouldn't be caught by their wives like yeah. so it's basically the hotel in john wick yeah. except for celebrities right yeah They're not assassins <laughs> exactly that's it's a that's crazy and that's I mean, where the party is and so jimmy invites her and don we're having a shindig at the stork club Donnie didn't get back to me, so I figure if anything like my wife, you booked the dance card. <laughs> Monday night, so the celebrities can come. Betty kind of plays it shy about like, oh, I'll be embarrassed to be around celebrities. He's like, oh yeah, keep playing that. Works wonders. And she doesn't totally commit. She's like, I need to talk to Don, but he kind of pushes her on that. He's like, well, don't you want to go? Like, I want to see you there. It'll mean a lot to me. She's like, I think I should hang up now. Yeah, which I it's like. getting a little, yeah. 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 It can, yeah, it can mean, get a little weird, so. Other than the old Maytag man that came and showed up <laughs> last season, uh, she's pretty good about dealing with these situations. Suitors. Well, and then yeah. Arthur, I don't know. Is she good at it, or does she just have a lot of experience doing it? But I think that she does a good job, like, cutting this call off yeah, before, it, before gets it gets really weird. Yeah. yeah. So... Duck comes in to Don's office to give him the news that they landed Martinson Coffee. Yeah, reggae. Woohoo, baby. Way before reggae, but yeah. still. But yeah, I think it's like a good kind of cathartic moment for Don and Duck after last episode where they had their kind of like shaky, like truce. Well, Dawn it starts is, as a cathartic moment, I think. I mean, Don from between their, in their relationship, you know, Don yeah. acknowledges like Duck's work and like teeing up this gig and right. they got it. But yeah. then Jane comes in and says, you know, Mr. Cooper wants to see you. And Don says, well, tell him we'll be right there. And she's like, no, just you, right. Mr. Draper. So throw that cathartic moment out the window. It's also important to know that Don pours a drink and offers Duck one. And Duck still says no. Even though we saw, and Christine and I disagreed last episode of what throwing Chauncey out of the building meant in terms of ducks drinking well he didn't i don't think he offered him one i think he's like we can get you something else like we can get you a coffee or something but he says well let your sails fly and 
I think he eyes the booze. Yeah, well, pretty pretty strongly. In that he scene. does. But so, but we still are wondering whether he drank. And the nobody last else up. in that. Nobody knows. Know. Nobody knows that he's drank yet. No, right. no, no, no. But I think it's interesting that whole scene. Like, and it's also interesting and important the way that for all the like relationship building we've seen between those two, Don goes up to Cooper's office and Duck is left like. Hmm. Thought I was hired. I thought that. I was hired at this level, and yet I'm not still included. So yeah, but they yeah. So he goes up to the to Cooper's office, and he and Roger are sitting there. Um, you know, they congratulate him, and he's like, "Well, I didn't do it alone." They're perfectly but, positioned in that way, like that, like the Dons meeting their uh, their young. Consigliere. Yeah. yeah. Or exactly. what's the opposite of a sensei? Sensei is like what you say to the... The grasshopper. Yeah. The young grasshopper. Yeah. <laughs> the people will become a master now. Yeah. And they say that the exec from Martinson was in fact so impressed by Don that he invited him to join the board of the soon-to-be-open Museum of Early American Folk Art. And that oh. is a new thing for Don. So He's like, what do they need, an ad? They're like, no, no, just to be on the board of a museum. We need you to continue your excellence in advertising, but also to start treating this like part of a bigger business, which it is. They're like, Don, do you know what this means? You're going to be wearing your tuxedo a lot more. So that's like really the important of it is like you're going to be going to galas. You're going to be going to openings. You're going to be like glad handing with the ultra elites. Yeah. And it's important to realize he says you're going to. Yeah. This is not a choice. Yeah. Like, you're a Don, partner. You got to You're taking this board job. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then he shoes, Cooper shoes uh, Roger out of the room. It's like, let's, you know, let's have a vodka free conversation for a second. Yes. And he says to Don, would you agree that I know a little bit about you? Uh oh. Don says, a little. And so this is like a callback to what Pete has shared with Bert. And we just wonder, you know at this moment what's coming there are a few people who get to decide what will happen in our world you have been invited to join them pull back the curtain and take your seat and here we are back to coop cooper i like to call him coop yeah i love i love Bert cooper your nickname basis yeah and he uh he's back to being like the old like pal Kindly. Kind grandpa's like saying, you see where you are? You've made it, son. And then, you know, he waves his cane and there's a rainbow and (laughs) all that stuff. Like, this is a a huge moment. Yeah. Like, this is like the moment that every, like, capitalist business person dreams of. Yeah. Where you get up to there and, like, they're like, you're done. Yeah. I mean, all you need to do is keep doing your job and not not fucking it up. Yep. And And you're here. some gallery openings and stuff yeah, yeah that's it but yeah so don's becoming a socialite <laughs> right basically and let's just immediately snap back to the car dealership then he goes right back he's sitting in the car in the dealership and he's like oh you're back i had a feeling and don he asks if he wants to take it for a test drive but don just says i would like to buy this car boom done yep sixty five hundred dollars in 1962 money check so Joan approaches Jane to talk about the rumors that have been a swirling Ooh. about 
her break in to Cooper's office. Jane initially kind of denies it and she's like, no, you know, I know what I know. And Jane claims that they made her do it, the accounts, account guys. All right, so let's be clear. Jane lies once, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Jane lies again, saying, they made me do it. I had no choice. And then after Joan says, like, no, Jane goes to this complete other approach of just straight up attack. Yeah. She's like, what's wrong with you? And Joan is like, with me? Yes. Are you the only one who's allowed to have fun around here? What? Please. I don't need a mother. I'm 20 years old. And Jane gets fired. Yep. Joan says, pack your bags. Right. And it's not, I don't think it's because of what she did. I think it's like her reaction. It's, you know, that she has been so insubordinate to Joan and like so like contrary to like Joan's authority and like role in the office. And I, I mean, it's not even a question. Yeah. If you were... If this was someone that you hired like a couple weeks ago and, and she says back. something like this and finishes it with, you're not my mother, mm-hmm. fuck you. Yeah. You're she's fired. Out. She's out. I fire you immediately. That's crazy. Yeah. And she, Jane like kind of protests and she's like, what, do you want to have this conversation again in front of Dawn? Right. So Which yeah. I kind of wish they did. I'd like to see how that went. But no, we don't get it. <laughs> nope. And like, that's it. You're yeah. gone. Happy happy weekend. Gather your things. You have a new job. Then, yeah. Don has bought this new car, and back at home, he shows Betty the new purchase, and she, like, runs out of the house. It's like, oh, Don. And Roger's prediction proves fruitful. <laughs> Except not about Not the about right Jane, person. but yes. that it'll make a gal want to get naked. It's a nice car. She is very impressed by it and he like he's like grinning about it too and he's like yeah it was expensive and she's like do you love it he's like i do (laughs) yeah it's such a good little scene between them and she's like oh you know i can't wait to pull up to the store club in this and don's like oh yeah anytime but then she is like well specifically on monday because jimmy has invited us to the party and don is a little like miffed or a little like weirded out that he called the house instead of going through his secretary I think he's just confused. Yeah. Yeah. But she she admits to Don. She's like, I think he likes to talk to me. Yeah. Which Don saw. Yeah. I mean, Don like, saw right. that at their dinner. He's like, um, well, I banged his wife, so I'm not going to throw well, up a big objection about further. that. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, he wants to show up in this car. Yeah. With Betty on his at the, arm. At the Stork Club. If yeah. you have an invite to the Stork Club, it sounds like you need to go to the Stork Club. Yeah. But then she wants to... Take it around the block, she says. Yeah, get a little frisky in the new car. And he goes, immediate car dad. He's like, not on these seats. Not in here, yeah. Not in here. Not in the seats. Can't spill anything in this car. Come on. What do you think? I'm the upholstery manufacturer. (laughs) You just replace these anytime I want. We're stocking the leather seat company. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, dad mode. So Jane has been fired, but on the way out, she just... Drops by Roger Sterling's office. Yes, we're anticipating we're anticipating some gale force winds here. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, the barometer. Let's just say things are the temperature's looking not good. Box up your you know box up the stuff that's important. No need to evacuate yet, but things are gonna get messy. <laughs> this metaphor is getting so developed. <laughs> Uh, yeah. She just wanted to stop by to thank him for being so nice to her. Yes. That's exactly oh, no. why she wanted to stop by. Mm-hmm. And she <sighs> says that she's been fired. And at first he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, 
it's tough to work for Don, but she's like, no, actually, it was Joan. And he gets his, you know, comforting protector vibe going right. fast. But also his, like, bitter redemption vibe. Like, Jonas, Joan is, he sees Joan as having wronged him, kind of, because she got engaged, so their affair is over. Exactly. And we've seen Roger lost the last few episodes. Like, after Joan got engaged, we saw the dinner with his daughter and mm-hmm. her future husbands. Husband. And he was just off in the distance. We saw him with the sex worker from Wet Hot American Summer <laughs> in that weird instance. And he's like, he's lost his, like, his lady. And now he's like, perfect chance to, number one, maybe, like, coax in a new lady. And number two, really put it to Joan. Yeah. You know? Like, you can't fire my... Eye candy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Only I can do that. And he just plays the sweet old man game, basically. Like, yeah, but kind of charming, too. I think. Well, I you mean, know, Roger's It's not like always... he's trying to be like, you know, I'm your grandfather. He's no, trying no, no. To... no, 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 please. Whenever I talk about Roger, it's never not charming. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing he always seems to have going for him, for the most part. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you go home for the weekend, and guess what? By the time it's back on Monday, you know, Joan will have gotten over... You know, her little thing she's having, and uh, you'll be working again. And she's like, thank you so much, Mr. Sterling. And he's like, Roger. Yeah. And she kind of leaves and walks out. Well, first he yanks his handkerchief back mm-hmm. from her. I think because he wants like it with her lipstick on him. I was surprised he like, didn't smell it in the scene, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but I bet as soon as she left. He did. I bet. Just, like, yeah. smaller perfume. And just, I mean, it's just so perfect because Jane's, like, natural smile is, like, you're doing something evil. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say evil. I want to say, like, well, She knows what she's doing. Yeah, no, like, she knows she, exactly what yeah, she's doing. Yeah, she's like, Roger has a big soft spot for me. He's, like, the, well, you know, this whole basically office the operating right. officer of the office, and I'm going like, to, like, sexually charm him and keep my job. And maybe actually, like, bulletproof myself. Yeah. So that's her plan. <sighs> and Roger yeah. is receptive to it because he's dumb. Because men are dumb. Yeah. Uh, we hey, are. Honey. Yeah. Easily lured in by a pretty face. Huh? <laughs> what? What do you say, beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dinner for three. Ken is arriving at Sal and Kitty's apartment. He's late, but they should have known because he's a bachelor. This is a Sunday Afternoon, evening dinner. Yes. Uh, they're suited up. Yeah, I love her dress. Katie is wearing like a white dress with like these big red graphic like flowers or roses with kind of like the green greenery leaves around them, green trim and like a green waist and like a white sheer apron because she's, you know, prepping the, the food. It's extremely Mediterranean and Sunday like... Sunday best. Early dinner type outfit, for sure. And Sal is wearing, like, this blazer that I really couldn't put my finger on, like, the color. It's, like, a shiny, like, metallic, kind of, like, yellow and green color, like, shiny threads. Really interesting. it was an interesting color. It's a color that I don't think they sell those suits anymore. (laughs) Um, But it could be only a couple years before those come back into style, too. Yeah. We're only a couple years away from retro being, like, pea soup and brown again I yeah think. yeah we're going into we're 70s in the, we're aesthetics. in the 60s 90s aesthetics right now i think <laughs> but there's only uh i mean there's only at any one tiktok we can yeah, switch to 70s. a 
to his seventies, early two thousands. I think the early two thousands are coming back in. That's Butter- a different podcast. Butterfly clips. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Ken shows up. He's like in a plaid or like a checked blue and brown jacket. Yeah. His standard. Yeah, and he brought flowers. You know, being thoughtful and. Sal is like, oh, let's, you know, put some aspirin in the water so they stay fresh. And Kitty's like, I know how to do that. I taught you that. So he's trying to show off his little knowledge for Ken. Yeah, but oh, man. This scene gets weird. Yeah. Fast. This is as, as comfortable as it is. Um, but. I don't think weird. Yeah. I retract the word weird. I don't think that's the correct word. Uncomfortable is the correct word. Yeah. It reminds me of this, like, thing that I've heard that. If you put Viagra in flowers water, it makes them stand up straight. No, I mean, it only makes sense. If aspirin keeps the flowers, like, the blood pumping up the flowers, Fresh. well, then imagine what Viagra could do to those yeah. flowers. Like, those are yeah. some tall standards. We'll try it. We'll see. We'll, we'll get some Viagra Yeah, yeah I was like, <laughs> we have one part of that that is going to require some work. We'll get it on the streets, as your, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Apparently, Sal has been doing a lot of the cooking. He's doing some of his, you know, like, classic Italian recipes. Right. And it sounds like Sal, that's Sal's vibe, too. It's like, we yeah. know Sal's, like... Attached know. to his heritage. And right. he, his mom still speaks Italian. And, you know. Yeah, so he cooks. He does all this. Yeah. And he invites Ken in to taste the sauce. And, mm-hmm. and he says the same thing that Ken says exactly. to him is, like, I'm fragile, but tell me what you think. It's an odd one-way flirtatious to oblivious or one-way flirtatious to polite. I think oblivious, at least at this point. Knowing Ken Cosgrove, it's probably pretty oblivious, and he's just coming in for a good bachelor meal, and he doesn't get elsewhere, and might feedback on his story. Yeah. And And he he cuts to the chase. Right. He's like, before dinner, I got to know like what you thought. And the story's called The Gold Violin, so I think it's time... For our famous Mad Men and Tonic brainstorm, what is Ken Cosgrove's gold violin story about, Christina? Well, um, he mentions that it's inspired by an art piece that he saw at the Met of a violin that was made of gold and couldn't play music, but it was otherwise like perfect, like it was perfect, perfect looking. And so I feel like it's probably kind of a self-reflective story of like you know a, a single man or like an ad man or a, a businessman that goes in and or that sees this piece of art somewhere maybe not even at a museum but maybe like you know in his grandfather's attic or something and tries to like i don't know do a devil went down to georgia kind of thing like tries to profit off this violin but it's not like imperfect it doesn't work it's like the king midas curse of like it sounds really great, you know, something that's gold, but if it doesn't work, like, what's the point? Oh, interesting. What do you think? Oh, I think it's about his endeavors with Jane and his impotence in pursuing that. He's he's the gold violin. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's beautiful, but it's not working right now. Hmm. That's my thought. Well, we'll never know. Um <laughs> Okay. Well, we won't. No, we will never know. That, those are our <laughs> thoughts. You can send us your thoughts about what the gold violin is about at Mad Men and Tonic. Yeah, and so I, I like looked this up to see what. <laughs> no, I just think yeah. those are good, good takes. <laughs> They're both I'm very excited. different. I'm yeah. excited to see what people think. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I looked it up to see if it was like a real piece, and there is a 
page on the the Metropolitan Museum of Arts site about the Gould violin, which is one of those famous Stradivarius. Stradivarius. Ooh, wow. And it's it's called Gould, named after it was named by the museum after the donor. So it's not, you know, the initial name of the violin. But it's a real violin and yeah, Stradivari is like the preeminent violin creator of history. Right. In like the sixteen, seventeen hundreds. I have no like, idea way back and creates yeah created all these like perfect violins made of like particular wood and there's like a limited number in the world and they're like art pieces but those ones were supposed to those ones could be played right correct like, we saw and one should in, be played beautifully didn't we see one in italy yes we did museum. see one in florence yeah. i think a violin in general is one of the most beautiful pieces of like instrumentation there are yeah that but and like, harps. I love harps. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, because those can be made out of gold. That's why you like them. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they're perfect. But they can be played. Right. That's why this violin's so weird. Yeah, but it's, know? yeah. What what he's referring to, though, that he saw a gold violin at the Met is not a real creation. But the Met notes this on this site. You know, they talk about that Ken wrote a story called The Gold Violin. And they think it's based on It's a probable refle- reference to the Gould, except that... As we know at the Met, the real Gould violin can, in fact, make beautiful music. So, yeah, that was um, historian. They give a cheers to that. Right. And it's another just moment of, like, wasteful imagery. Like, here we have this beautiful, like, expensive gold violin. But you, but you can't, can't play, play it. It doesn't yeah. serve any function, really. Yeah, it's, just it's, it's just a piece. Look at and own. It's just a piece, like, that you want to know that you have. Yeah. You know? And want other people to look at. Definitely. So with this big, beautiful car, what do you got to do? Picnic. Take it out for a picnic. Picnic boo-boo. As the drapers do on a nice Sunday afternoon. Yeah. A true family. Those idyllic moments that this family has. It looks like the Coke Coke ad that that he was in season one almost. Right. And we missed it because they did the same thing with the car in front of uh, the, the house. They did that mm-hmm. same, like, here's your 50s postcard. Right. Here's your 60s, like, idyllic postcard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Betty's wearing this, like, you know, white kind of, it's like a sundress with, like, these red flowers on it and, like, a red headband and it's a full skirt and they look very summery. Dawn's wearing a green shirt with red, black, and blue, like, stripes and khakis and they're just very relaxed. Yeah. We should do this all the time, basically. Right. Just like, lounge out on a blanket and drink some day beers and have a good time let the kids play in the park yeah exactly yeah and bobby goes to the has to go to the bathroom they have go outside and don is like you kids are lucky that you can go you know that you have a toilet to use when i was growing up we had an outhouse in the back of the yard and sometimes it was pitch black and you had to like feel your way out yeah and that prompts sally to ask are we rich and Don and Betty look at each other, and Betty's kind of smiling. Yeah. Like, she's like, oh. Like, she's, you know, images everything to her, and even when it's your own kids. I'm impressed that she asked this this young, I'm basically. Like, oh, she's yeah. thinking about uh, the right things. She knows. Yeah. But they tell her it's not polite to talk about money. Which, which is, is what rich people which say. Which is a good way to say, yes. <laughs> yeah. If you can figure that out, you can figure this out. Right. Yeah. Money talks, but wealth right. whispers. And that's when Don says, Yeah. It's time to go. And then we get one of the most memorable scenes to me in the entire show. You always talk about this scene. Like- it just blows my mind. I mean, one of the scenes that stuck with me throughout the whole thing, and it's I think it's just so perfect in this episode, too, is 
They stand up and get ready to pack up, and Don just launches the beer can like a baseball player Into as far field, as he can. Yeah. And we don't even know where the, we don't know we don't know where they are, what this situation is. Like a park is. or yeah, something, something, it seems. Just launches it. And then they're cleaning up the picnic, and Betty just pulls up the blanket and dumps all of this trash out, and they mm, just pick leave. up all their, their stuff that's worth something and leave. Yeah. They literally just left all the garbage from the picnic like where it was without the right. blanket. And I looked at Christina watching this again. I was like, this is one of the most memorable scenes to me of all time because it's like, just like, how could you treat like a park like that? Yeah. But we talked about how this is like six months before Silent Spring by Rachel Carson came out. This is like the whole theme of this episode. And Mad Men loves to do this where they're like, can you catch on to these ideas that are so, like, normal and run-of-the-mill and, like, signs of luxury to people back then Mm -hmm. and now just look, like, heinous to us. Yeah. They love to do this and just subtly just throw them in. And this scene of Don and Betty just throwing trash and leaving it in the park as the sun goes down and still making it look like an idyllic 60s postcard. (laughs) Yeah, the trash is sitting right there. It's like... That's what Mad Men does. That's the Mad Men comedy that they do so well. I love yeah. it. I, I love like, it, but cheek, I... cheek, and it's like... Yeah. Yeah, they think it's normal, but isn't this just wild that they're doing this? Yeah, never forget. I love it, but I hate it, you know? <laughs> it's one of those scenes where you're like, I cannot believe life was like that. Yeah, then. and it's not even a matter of like, oh, we threw some stuff out, but we didn't recycle. It's like, no, they didn't even put anything in a garbage can. No, it's like no one knew what would happen. I remember my dad telling stories about how, like, in the neighborhood, the truck would just come down to come spray DDT, and it would just be a big fog, and all the kids would love it because it's like it's, it's cool a big fog cloud. Yeah, yeah go oh mess God. around in the cloud. Oh and it's God. like that's just what they did to kill mosquitoes and shit. Yeah. So it's just one of those moments that I never forgot from the first time I watched the show. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, they're just leaving this all in the park. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, back to. A dinner that is going to become even more uncomfortable in its last moments. Basically, like, Sal is, like, having a great time, like, chatting with Ken. Ken's being, like, you know, polite and, like, collegial about it. And Kitty's trying to, like, insert herself in the conversation. But Sal is basically just, like, excluding her and not even really, like, being aware that he is doing it. Right. This is some sad irony where we know exactly what's going on and Kitty... Might be kind of... I, I don't think that's yet. a good that's a good I don't question think quite yet and it's a good question because the way she talked about sal earlier about how they met it's mm-hmm. like she's been obsessed with him for years yeah and like she doesn't have the hard reality coming yeah. in because she's idealized like, so he's much, like yeah. i need a wife and yeah you know I yeah i think he realized it was good for his career and his lifestyle yeah but yeah afterwards after he leaves kitty is like do you even see me here? Like, I, you know, I don't know these people. You're having these whole side conversations. Like, a lot of people think I'm interesting. And Sal, I think, at that point, like, realizes, like, that he's hurt, hurt her feelings and, you know, that his hyper-focus on Ken was, um, he wasn't being attentive to her. I think he double realizes that, like, not only was I not being a good husband, mm-hmm. but I was not being a good husband to my wife like i was showing that i was attracted to ken mm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah so he like double realized like number one i treated my wife poorly in like a public setting yeah and number two i like kind of betrayed what i've been trying to hide yeah it's a struggle 
Yeah, no, it is sad. And yeah, as he's like tidying up, he like sees that Ken left his lighter there and he like pockets it. Yeah. Next morning, Ken is kind of bugging Jane on his way in. Yeah, apparently that writer talk from Sal didn't take. Nope. So. And she she's, I think, being especially like standoffish because, you know, she's gotten in trouble and she's like, I'm not trying to take any chances with it seeming like I'm just getting into other shenanigans. Can't you see I'm being watched? No, yep. she's like, <laughs> I have one goal here and it's to make sure I have my job back. Yes, like Roger told me, but... <laughs> right, and she has a good right to tell, because as we were watching it, it was like, what are the chances Roger tells anybody what he told Jane? Well, we're going to well, learn. Turns out the chances were zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Um, I won the bet. I won the bet. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, then Ken splits off. He thanks Sal for dinner. He says he wants to call kitty but he wanted to check with him first like if it's okay if i call your wife and thank her right and did you have that moment where you're like i bet sal gives the lighter back well nope that doesn't didn't. happen but ken kind of glosses over he's like you know you and kitty like i like how you are and that's kind of oh. like marriage i want there's some more irony for uh, you yeah oh, no man. poor sal. i mean you know what ken sees is like hipper couple like they've got like a flashy apartment they don't have a kid and they're like you know living in the city and like cooking these like crazy meals and probably also man-to-man conversation you know Mm -hmm. ladies there but being polite yeah you know yeah exactly what happens i think and oh it's it's a great contrast between ideal lives and clearly imagined lives but there's more business to get to that's for sure so joan Jane is sitting down at her desk, same as usual, outside Don's office. Joan, like, comes around the corner and walks down, like, between the rows of desks, glaring at her, and she says, what on God's green earth are you doing here? Which, Joan has a way of smiling and staring that is, like, could kill, like, small creatures. It is horrifying. (laughs) Yeah. What are you doing? It's horrifying. And that is what she's staring at Jane right now. Jane kind of feels it for a second, I think. Ooh, Jane kind did of feels you it. Yeah. Talk to Roger, and she's like, "What would he have to do with this?" And she's like, "I just happened, you know, to see him on my way out." And she then jo- Jane Joan gets it immediately. She's like, "Oh, I bet you just did. You just happened to see him." And but then Jane is even more combative about it, and she's like, "The winds are picking up, Christina." <laughs> Meteorologists recommend that you start uh, start thinking about evacuating at least. Uh-huh. All right. All thinking right. about evacuating at least. Thank you for the weather report. <laughs> yeah. But I think, unfortunately, even though Joan is like, oh, my God, like you flirted your way into keeping your job. She's kind of in a, a checkmate when, you know, Roger flexes this way. She can't overrule it. But she's like, I'm never going to forget this. I think she also knows what's going on with Roger. And I think at the same time, it's about, I'll never forget this about Roger either. Because yeah. he's like. He talked trash to her. How jo- And Jane recounted it more nastily than Roger said. Like, Roger didn't use those terms, but she's like, yeah, you're impetuous. And, like, you lose your temper. But Roger's like, Jane, Joan's having a tough time. Yeah, I think that Joan sees Jane as the pawn here almost, even though she's a strong pawn. Mm-hmm. Because she still sees this as Roger getting back at her for getting engaged. Yeah. That's what I really think. And Yeah. But either way it's a slap from each of them. Yes. It's it's brutal. It's brutal. And it is bad news for 
this whole situation in the office. <laughs> and I love the way Joan ends it. Is there a problem? No. There's no problem at all. It's very clear. We're all understood here. <laughs> beyond you, Jane. Like, it goes beyond Jane. I, Jane doesn't have any idea. No, she doesn't so know that background at it's all. It's just like, this line is so good. It's like, no, we, we know what's happening here. Yeah. And I won't forget this. And it won't be easy for you. Yes. So that's how that plot is left. Off yeah. to the stork club. Yes. In case you were bored with this episode, <laughs> not being awkward enough. Yeah. It's a really fancy occasion. So Don is wearing a white tuxedo with a black bow tie. Yeah, and the black pants. Yeah. Yeah. This is a this is just a Classic. like dinner jacket style look, like yeah. really fancy look. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I would never dare wear a white tuxedo cuz I'd spill food on it. Yeah. Guaranteed. That's trouble. Guaranteed. But yeah, Don's going that look. And Don look's like Don. What yeah. are you going to do? Not wear a white tuxedo. In a tux. You just don't eat food. You yeah. Just drink eight drinks. You're fine. Yep. <laughs> and Betty is wearing like a blue like satin or silk dress. Like it's like bright blue with beading and kind of like these gauzy like straps over it and these dangling gem blue earrings and a matching bracelet has her hair kind of yeah. up with a lot of volume on top yeah the female johnny bravo uh, bumper <laughs> yeah. up there <laughs> she look don't don't take yeah. that the wrong way she looks incredible yep they both do and but her first comment is that everyone here looks so glamorous because there's lots of like celebrities here and don is like that's what they're saying about you yeah which they're both true. Probably. Someone from ABC comes over to talk to Don and kind of about the show and, you know, his his role in kind of facilitating it. And then Bobby Barrett comes over. She also looks stunning. She's in, like, this red dress with, like, a sequin pattern. Her hair is, like, up in this high updo. She has dramatic gold earrings. And she comes over and she's a charmer and a wheel greaser, too. She tells Betty that she looks stunning, which is, like, a good people that are good at giving compliments is like a very good trait to have in life right i mean we know there's yeah. a lot more going on between these two but, than, than but betty does betty doesn't know yet but it's interesting yeah. is that just a polite gesture or like is that for don's sake you never know yeah but they greet each other and then they're gonna talk business with this abc exec so betty goes off to get drinks and finds herself just like looking at some art alone in the corner right which you know does she expect this to be what happened to the historic club when don's there at a party with people he knows i don't know i don't know if she cares if she's okay with just being at the historic club yeah we but don't get any insight we don't care she's happy to be there for sure though because yeah. she's like pumped this to like glam. leave them alone to their business yeah and look at like betty does like yeah. who would she could be... just stand there and like nod but... but who wouldn't be pumped to look like betty does at like a famous club yeah yeah and then jimmy sees her alone and he comes over and again is as usual complimenting her another well-written routine yep he offers to grab her some more champagne because the drunker she is the funnier he becomes same you guys should take another drink at this point in the podcast if you haven't already (laughs) or some water maybe water to be drinking with us yeah a little water and He's going through some sticks, blah, blah, blah. But then he kind of nods over to Don and Bobby and the exec talking. He's like, yeah, you know, we're over here at the kids' table. Yeah, the people that are being cheated on. Yes. But Betty's like, well, I don't know what you mean. And 
Jimmy's like, I've been getting bested by guys that look like your husband my whole life. And, you know, if I wasn't funny, I wouldn't have met you. But then he gets to the meat of it. And he asks Betty what she thinks happened between the two of them. And she's like, what do you mean? Ugh. It's just like. And he's like, come on. Like, look at them. Yeah. But Betty Betty has no context for this. You know, unlike Jimmy, as we know, had his suspicions a couple episodes ago when they were both, like, out of commission for a few days Right. We together. talked about him coming in and, like, thanking Don and all that stuff. And it being because... very loaded. But, you know. He outs him. That's yeah. what it comes down to. He goes through his New York shtick and she doesn't. Either she doesn't get it, which I don't think is true because Betty is smart, and she refuses to accept it until he just basically says it. Yeah. But then even then, she just kind of responds defensively. You people are ugly and crude. What people? You mean comedians? I mean, it's amazing, actually. It's a great response from... What you'd expect yeah, from like, a comedian. Yeah. What do you mean, comedians? Yeah, what people? Comedians? <laughs> but, it's like the ultimate defense tactic at the end of the day. It's like, I'm not a bad person. I'm just a comedian. Yeah. That's how I live my life. I'm yeah. sorry if I offend you. Right. But <sighs> yeah, it is a moment of realization and reckoning for Betty. Yes. Unfortunate. Yeah. As it is. Which begs the question, when did Jimmy find out? It had to be after the car crash. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. way he actually bought that story, right? No, and then there was for that. I don't know. I mean, I think like you mentioned when we talked about that, you know, he noticed that like she and Don left the table, and then when they came back, she was like, "You've got to do the apology." So he knows that like she and Don have these like have had these side. He at least has some conversations over her. Yeah, and then last episode. Jimmy was gone for 10 days and Bobby, you know, was holed up in a hotel with him for some of it. So there might have been some suspicion about, like, what she was doing when he was gone. Right. And we still don't know how Bobby got untied from <laughs> yeah. the handcuffing situation that yeah. well, happened at least, last episode. Yeah. At least he was using, like, you know, it was, like, yeah, silk it ties. Was, it she probably had some movement, at least. But you just have to wonder, yeah. what did she call? Did she call her son or her daughter? We don't know what <laughs> yeah. happened there. But now Betty, like it or not, is, you know, knows about this, this suspicion. Right. And this this is no like new thing. Like she called those numbers unknown at the end of the last season Mm -hmm. to see because she thought like after Francine's thing, like, is this happening to me too? And it just happened to be, no, he's just calling your therapist. Well, no, he's cheating on you, but you don't know that yet. He's calling your therapist. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Betty... Yeah, though she's had suspicions and stuff, she's never had, like, anything direct that suggested an affair until now where right. the husband of the person is saying it to her. Yeah. Whew. These last couple scenes are where Mad Men shines. They're short, and they are devastating. Yeah, and largely silent. Right. The first is uh, Sal and Kitty Redux. Kitty is, like, knitting on the couch. Sal is sitting not on the couch with her, but in a chair on the other kind of side of the room. Right, and Sal's mom seems to be there. Oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, there was an older woman asleep next to Kitty. Wow. Oh, you didn't see that at all. I literally did not. It seems like Sal's mom is there as well. But yeah, they've got the TV on. Kitty is not looking at him. She's knitting. He's like looking at the TV. He's got a full drink in his hand. He's like, he whips out the lighter again, Ken's lighter, and kind of like strokes it a little bit and then just takes a big exhale. (sighs) This scene just carries so much weight 
for like telling us everything that we already knew. Like mm-hmm. th- there's no need for this scene except to like emphasize what we watched in this right scene. and it's, to emphasize how like much torment yeah. Sal is going and it's through. Just, it's just a beautiful pan from Sal's mother, who I didn't see, to Kitty, who I did see, to like not even it's just like a profile. profile we don't even do we dark. even get Sal's face? I guess we get him getting a cigarette and then yeah. lighting it with dark too. Later. It's oh man, amazing. Yeah. Then the next scene is Don and Jimmy face off. Jimmy notices yeah. that Don is getting ready to leave, and he's like, yeah, Betty's not feeling well. She, he doesn't know the conversation that Jimmy and Betty have had yet, but, you know, they're kind of talking. Jimmy, again, has this line of, like, thanks to you, I got everything I wanted. And Don's kind of being, you know, polite, but then Jimmy says, you know what I like about you? Nothing. Which just sounds like a normal Jimmy bit from what we know from Jimmy. Right, until Jimmy expands on that and says... You got me everything I wanted. What did you get? Bobby? Lots of people have had that. Excuse me? Please. I laugh at you. I go home at night and I laugh at you. And Don is shocked. Don's like, excuse me? Yeah. And Don denies. He's like, I don't know what you think happened. Deny, deny, deny. Deny. But... And Jimmy is even more blunt about it and says, You want to step out? Fine. Go to a whore. You don't screw another man's wife. You're garbage. And you know it. And Don doesn't respond because then he and Betty are on the way out. Someone's finally telling Don, Hey. You crossed a line and you are a bad person. Yeah. Which yeah. is what Don is already already throwing like, in his head all the time. He always fears, you know? yeah, that he is, you know. Well, he knows he's a, stole someone's identity, mm-hmm. but he he never quite connects that to like his other day to day activities, right? You know, yeah. Don't sometimes you don't connect the long term to the day to day. And now this, <laughs> yeah. I think he does. And then, like you know, last time too, when Bobby was like, "Yeah, you have a reputation," like he's just kind of becoming aware of like you know the effects of his decisions that he makes without considering other people. Right. Yeah. Aware and acceptance are two different things, but it's like awareness is First step, brutal. Yeah. And again, we see Dom just leave like that weird, that amazing sweaty, like skull shaking look that he can get. Yeah. Only, only John Hamm can do that <laughs> look. Yeah, and then they're driving home, he and Betty, in their new beautiful beautiful car, and they're both just staring straight ahead, not talking, like, mouths gritted, like, steely looks, it's so tense, and it's, you know, silent, and then Betty just, like, voms in her lap. Right into a car that Don just bought and was trying to protect like a new dad protects car and onto her like most formal dress that she has what a shocking end what yep. a like boom sudden Blah. Blah. time for awards all right all right yep. who are you promoting if not for this last scene i would say don like otherwise he has a good app like you know he's moving up in the world yeah. he's got his cadillac he like nailed a pitch he's balancing his social life and his you know outside of his outside life but of course the end of the episode is a down point for him yeah so i think i might pick jane wow because she 
she flips around, like, you know, her just kind of doing whatever she wants and showing off and paying consequences for it, but she knows her unique strengths and her unique power plays that she can use, and she uses them to her advantage. You know, it takes a lot of boldness and self-confidence and knowing, you know, knowledge about other people to do what she does, and it pays off for her. Big <laughs> Yeah, no, I get it. Oh, I'm. I also thought that I would promote Dawn, but that last scene, I just can't do it. Those last couple right. scenes, actually. Yeah. So I'm gonna promote Cosgrove because I think <laughs> that throughout the episode, Cosgrove again demonstrates that he has something more than like just accounts work. Like yeah. he has some, he some artistic sense. Yeah. yeah, some depth. And then he also, even though he keeps getting shut down by Jane, I don't think that's a negative. I think he's. It's being fine, yeah. pleasantly blown away from a tropical storm that's building. Yeah. And uh, I think that, like, he's also seems, you know, polite. And we just get a, a sense of depth from Ken that is encouraging, yeah. I think. Like, a good-natured bachelor vibe for once. And also, mm-hmm. like, a, you know, like someone that's still looking. But someone that also has more than he thinks he has in terms of his job. Yeah. Like he sees he says writing's just a hobby, but he clearly has more artistic ability than you know, someone like Pete or Kinsey that actually want to be like <laughs> artists, artists, artists. Yeah. You know? Who are you going to fire? I'm gonna fire Jane. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm I'm yeah, firing well. Jane. Jane legitimately got fired for being insubordinate and then went around her boss to her supervisor. Played the pity card and got rehired. Yeah, she rallied. <laughs> it's a rally, but I don't think it's a good one. It can't be good for the office. And I think that it's like one episode demonstrates everything you need to know to fire an employee. What about you? I'm going to fire Joan. Ooh. <laughs> because she let, you know, her frustration with like Joan challenging her as like, you know, the office, like pet lead to a quick reaction and handled it kind of poorly and then you know got kind of doubled down by roger and you know not knowing that her actions could backfire okay so question question do you think that joan should have fired jane for what jane said to joan as her superior you're not my mother do you I mean, think that was a fireable offense Well, in 1962? I mean, everything, we live in an at-will employment state, so everything's a fireable offense except for well, discrimination. That's not what I'm asking, Miss Legal Body. I'm asking, do you think that Jones should have been fired, or Jones should have fired Jane right here? Would May- you have fired Jane right here if no, you were Jones? No. No? No. I mean, that's just my feeling about it. No, I mean, it might have been that's fire- perfectly valid. It might have been something know. she could fire her for, but I just think that I was she didn't contemplate it. Well, also, it was lie. Well, I just think that plus... she she also fired her without talking to Dawn about it. Like, that, to me, that... Right, and this is something we still struggle with, is what is the actual, like, ladder of authority in this office, and we don't know. Right. But, I mean, my understanding is Joan has... Authority over all the secretaries. Authority, but should she make a decision about 
a partner's secretary without consulting him and without she him even knowing to. what well, happened. Yeah, you're right. She did just threaten to. So it's mm-hmm. interesting. No, she said, do you want, after she fired her, she says, well, do you want me to bring Dawn down so we can do this again? Right. Well, luckily Dawn wasn't around. I don't know. It's interesting. What's your favorite quote? Bert saying, there are a few people in the world who get to decide what will happen. You've been invited to join them. Pull back the curtain and take your seat. <sighs> Just like talking about, you know, there's people that make money and then there's people that make money and are influential and right are connected and you're becoming you're jumping to the next stratosphere yeah there's not it's not just people that make money back here it's people that just continually get money for doing nothing right that passive income and then you get the power of making and like social power it's such a good line everything bert says in this episode is gold it should be bert's gold this episode (laughs) rogers bert silver yeah bert silver Bert's platinum. Bert Lightyear. Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, oh, it's so good. It's great. What's your um, favorite? My favorite quote's right at the beginning. I think the Cadillac dealer mm. just kills it mm-hmm. with the line that like, yeah, I mean that Dodge is a good car to get you here. This Cadillac means you've already arrived. Yeah. That is just that's a really good. That's one. so good, and it's perfect to like set up the whole theme of this episode. Is like, all right, you're here now. What? Yeah. Now deal with everything that you, like, burned behind Be you to, yeah. to get here, right? right? Uh, what's your Sterling's gold? Um, it's... <laughs> 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 oh, it's always hard to choose these lines. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love what he says. It's so invigorating about, like, spending $6,500 in cash. On a car, yeah. But I also love his line to Jane about the sweater. Mm. It's like, where'd you get your sweater? So that I tell my daughter not to get it there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, God, so uh, many ulterior motives with Sterling always. You never know when he's serious or not, and that's really what I love about Sterling. Yeah. What about you? Um, I liked what he he and Don's exchange about Jane where he says that I bet she suffers in silence out there hoping you'll notice her. <laughs> and then that when she hears about the Cadillac, she'll be waiting naked right out in front of the window. I um. mean... People can dream. Everyone is noticing Jane, and it's funny because Don usually plays it pretty, like, close to the vest and hasn't. He hasn't made, like, a comment about her to anyone, really, but Roger's nudging gets him to kind of, like, crack yeah. a smile. And... If you're if you're wondering why we do this category, it's because Roger seems to be the only person that really makes Don, like, laugh sincerely. Yeah. <laughs> like, really makes Don chuckle. Right. And maybe we'll find out why one day. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But they have a unique relationship. They really sure. do. Yeah. Okay, it's your time to shine. This was an episode full of outfits. Yes. My favorite though is Kitty's dress for having really? having them Ooh. over at dinner. I just loved it. It was so pretty, so vibrant. Like you said, it kind of had those Mediterranean colors and um For so much glamour in this episode, that's kinda of surprising to me that you chose one that was a little more like it's not always Reserved about the glitz. and down to earth. It's not always yeah. about the glitz. I mean, I, I love Betty's dress and Bobby's dress at the club too, of course. But yeah, I mean, I liked that too. I think that I would definitely go with Betty's dress at the mm-hmm. store club. Yeah, like really sleek mm-hmm. prom style. Pretty color. Yeah, I was yeah. Gonna say, it did read a little prom. All right, time for the hottest. Um, I, I mean, I like a smug Don, and he doesn't get more smug than buying a Cadillac with cash and really hamming it up. 
Yeah. Um, but I also liked Bobby at the club just to, you know, when you get to see her, like, in her element where she's, like, driving the business conversations, you know, and flirting with Dawn at the same time and, like, juggling, like, being polite to Betty, you know, she's a woman in charge and it's nice to see. Yeah. What I mean, pick? there's nothing really hotter than when Dawn and Betty are, like, getting along together and the scene in the Cadillac is mm, like mm-hmm. so awesome yeah like yeah you almost kind of want them to bang in the Cadillac yeah like, absolutely. at least to start banging in the Cadillac <laughs> absolutely. And they both look so good like I noticed Betty's outfit coming out because it was so like something that you wouldn't wear today like people wouldn't wear today really it's very mm-hmm. dated but it still it, looks yeah. really good and Don's little dress down I think, and mm-hmm. they just get in there and they're like, All you know, frisky, it's like a, it's yeah. like a couple in a car and the drive-in, you know, like that kind of thing. And then, I mean, it's really hard not to go against Jane in these episodes too because they dress her up big. Like, yeah, yeah. Because, and so her coming in in her like, I'm not fired. I'm still <laughs> an employee here, like oh. blue outfit with yeah, her like dress blue dress. And, yeah. yeah, that's the other one that competes here, but. I mean, the show we watch is for Don and Betty at this point, and they look amazing in that car. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, they make you want to bang in the car. You know? <laughs> they make us want to bang in the car. So, yeah, love we'll it. Get a Cadillac and we'll, we'll talk. A couple years away, baby. <laughs> we'll see. All right, season two, episode seven. is rated an 8.5. Oh, yeah. On IMDb. That's good for 43 out of the 92 episodes so this is like a good midway top point basically about, yeah. yeah a little over the top <laughs> where do you rank it i think it's my favorite of the season so far it's close between new the new girl because i do love that peggy and dawn like development and peggy's moving up in kind of how she handles her career but yeah, I just love all the intrigue. I love the South storylines a lot. When we've been rewatching this, I kind of forgot how interesting those are. You know, there's emotional intensity and then, you know, just the kind of, like, themes of luxury versus waste versus, like, you know, who you present yourself to be versus who you are. It just, yeah, it's a really good episode. Yeah, this is my top episode of the season, and it, it's really not even close. Even given... Like, those great flashbacks that we got for Peggy, which are amazing. I mean, this episode is one that I remembered so many scenes from. Mm-hmm. All of it's so iconic. All of it, like, still resonates so deeply. It's what we love Mad Men for, this type of episode. Yeah. It's perfect. We've got a small flashback that we don't know anything about. We've got uncomfortable situations. We've got oh, glamour. Man. It's We've amazing. Got, you know, yeah. big pitch. Yeah. That gets this nailed, is, yeah. This is not only, like, top episode of the season. This might be up on the... It's in the running for top episode so far in the show for me. Yeah. So, well, thank you again yes. for listening for another long show. Yeah, we went on a long one today. But this episode deserves it. Yes. I think this episode does. And we thank you all for listening. And uh, we can't wait to keep going. We're going to try and knock a few more out of these and hopefully get... A couple guests on in the next couple because we have a few very strange iconic episodes coming up. Yes. So we're excited. We're excited to get some people coming on here that can bring an 
very interesting perspective to those episodes. Indeed. So, thanks again. We right. love you all.